Now we're continuing our studies in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're in chapter 5. We're also going to read from Revelation chapter 4 as well, because so much of what we're thinking about today is about worship and the God whom we worship. So Leslie is going to lead us us in our readings. Thanks, Leslie. We're reading this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting at verse 1. The Word of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you see and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. The second reading is New Testament, Revelations chapter 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered, was covered with eyes all around even under his wings. Day and night they never stop saying, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creature give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Amen, and may God add his blessing to his word. Heavenly Father, we want to echo the words of the psalmist. Oh, that my ways were steadfast, that we were consistent in our obedience to your holy word, rather than, as it were, picking and choosing what we prefer to do and prefer not to do. Lord God, we pray that as we consider your word just now and just how serious you take our worship that we ourselves would be very conscious of what it means to be in your presence the presence of the true and the living God remembering the words of scripture our God is a consuming fire. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our God and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, we live in a very noisy world, don't we? Just ever stop and listen to the everyday sounds that assault your ears. There's the traffic driving by with the occasional screech or revving of an engine. There's a young man kindly sharing his taste in music with the rest of us. There's a helicopter flying by. This past week I've had to contend with a pneumatic drill as workmen were doing goodness knows what out there on Carlisle Road. Now, of course, there are pleasant sounds as well. I love hearing the sound of the children at Blackwood School audibly enjoying their playtime or their lunch break. But by and large, I prefer silence when I work. I've never been the kind of person who can study with music playing away in the background. And what about church? Here in the west of Scotland, we are a noisy bunch, aren't we? Before our church service, there is such a hubbub going on. And that's why I like to start the service with that short praise song or a gathering song, really just to help us take our attention away from ourselves and onto the Lord. But contrast that with churches in the Western Isles. I remember the very first time I preached on the island of Lewis. I was in the vestry with a minister... And there was no noise at all coming from the church. No sound of people arriving. 
No sound of chit-chat. I honestly thought there was nobody there. They'd heard that it was Ian Watson preaching and no one had come. In fact, the church was full. Full of quiet people. Now, don't take what I'm saying as a criticism. It's a, it's a cultural thing, isn't it? It's a cultural thing. Our talk to one another shows that we are actually interested in one another. And, and that, of course, is a good thing. But perhaps Ecclesiastes does have something in particular to say to us today. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen. Now, we are sitting at the feet of the author of Ecclesiastes, literally the Kohelet, or the teacher, the philosopher, and our cliched way of thinking about the world has been challenged. We have been confronted with some rather sobering truths. And yes, it has been uncomfortable. It has been uncomfortable at times. Life really is but a breath. Examine how we spend our time. And we are forced to admit that so much of it is just a chasing after the wind. The hard fact is, so much of life is meaningless. Futile. If. And it is a great big if. If life is lived without any recognition that there is a creator God. In the end, life lived under the sun gets you nowhere fast. But when we see that God has made everything beautiful in its time, and that he has placed that sense of eternity within each one of us, when we appreciate, as it says here in chapter 3, verse 17, that God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, in short, when, as the Lord Jesus said, we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, all these things are ours as well. Now in chapter 5, we move from the meaninglessness of everyday life lived without God to the foolishness, the meaninglessness of careless worship. Careless worship. If our worship is not offered humbly and sincerely, then it too is but a chasing after the wind. The bottom line is this. God is in heaven and you are on earth. In other words, God is God and you are not. Therefore, be very careful how you worship. And in particular, be careful how you speak in worship. Not necessarily what you say out loud, as if this text only applies to the preacher, but how you speak in your heart. What you personally say to God in prayer. What is going on? What's going on in your mind? Careless worship. So we're going to divide the passage into two sections. The first section much longer than the first. Verses 1 to 3. They deal with the worshipper who regards worship as part of a bargain with God. And their part of the deal is that they will sacrifice an hour or so on a Sunday morning to attend church, 
sing the hymns, say amen after the prayers, contribute financially, and for his part, God will listen to what they have to say and act accordingly. And our teacher refers to this as the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools. And then verses 4 through to 7 deal with vows. The promises that we make to God of what we'll do or what we'll give if only he will do and give what we ask. And failure to keep a promise made to God is really stupid, says our teacher. Better not to make a vow than fail to keep it in the first place. So let's make a start. Verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. So our teacher has in mind the kind of worshipper who is heading up towards the temple in Jerusalem and perhaps he has with him that lamb or the goat that he intends to offer as a sacrifice. But what does that sacrifice represent? Does he understand that he is the sinner and that this innocent animal is about to die as his substitute? Does he understand this? Does he appreciate that it is only by God's grace and mercy that it's not his blood that is being spilled on the altar? Or is he offering this sacrifice because, well, that's what you're meant to do. Is he going through the motions just to keep up appearances? Perhaps he resents the cost of this lamb and time away from work. Perhaps he harbours a pagan mentality that Jehovah ought to do him some good in return for this sacrifice. Now, if that is the case, says our teacher, the worshipper is a fool. A fool. He is not saying that the worshipper is evil or wicked, just that he is a fool. And as it says in verse 4, God has no pleasure in fools. Now why is he a fool? Because he has never understood that true religion, biblical religion, has never been a matter of mere externals. It has always been the case that the outward performance of worship must be married to an inward heartfelt devotion. Always been the case. Otherwise, our singing and our praying and our preaching are just a breath, a vapor, meaningless, completely meaningless and of no eternal value whatsoever. Now, this is taught in the New Testament, but it's not just a New Testament doctrine. It goes all the way back, goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. All the way back to the beginning. Why did God accept Abel's offering and reject Cain's? It had nothing to do with what they were offering. It's because Cain himself was not right before God. As it says, sin was crouching at his door, wanting to master him. He was to master sin. But in the end, sin mastered him. And he killed his brother Abel. In Isaiah chapter 1. The Lord complains about the hypocritical worship that is being offered. 
The people hadn't stopped bringing their sacrifices to the temple. That is not God's complaint. His complaint is that their worship is divorced from how they live their lives day to day. It's worth reading the whole passage. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless, there you go, meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash And make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. It is not the case that the externals of religion were to be dispensed with. But anyone who thought that merely going through the motions was enough was a fool. A fool. And friends, it's still the same today, isn't it? The Lord Jesus himself warned against religion that was all show. You know, those who prayed long-winded prayers in public, those who advertised their generosity to the poor, meaningless as far as God was concerned. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen. Now I look around this congregation. And by and large, I see that you have prepared yourself for coming to church. I mean by that, you've taken time over your appearance. Now thankfully, gone are the days when people talked about their Sunday best. There is no dress code in Hope Church. Come wearing whatever you feel comfortable in. But I want to compliment you all today. You are a well turned out group of people. I'm not looking at anyone and thinking, oh, they've just flung themselves together this morning. But can I ask you this? How much time did you spend preparing your heart? How much time did you spend preparing your mind? For church this morning. How prepared are you to listen? Not so much to me. But as to God's Holy Spirit. Someone has said that God listens to our prayers through a stethoscope. Do you get it? He's listening to our hearts. To the real you and me. And he might be hearing something completely different. From what we are saying out loud. He listens to our prayers through a stethoscope. And that's why our teacher advises us in verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. 
Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. God is in heaven and you are on earth. That is the perspective that we need. Bible commentator Derek Tidball says this. We have turned our worship inside out. True worship means that we bring our puny lives and concerns to God and lay them in surrender at his feet so that we might find out his point of view, be instructed in his truth, be directed in his ways and bring our lives into conformity with his will. I think of it like this. Have you heard of the film, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? I think we've shrunk God. We've shrunk God. And it shows in our attitude towards worship. But what does the psalmist say? Magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord. And friends, we will never come close to worshipping God as he ought to be worshipped until we have grasped, even in some small measure, just what God is. And you heard me right. I didn't say who God is, what God is. His nature, his character, his attributes. He is spirit. We are frail flesh. He is infinite. We are finite. He is immortal. We are mortal. He is almighty. We are so weak. He is holy. We are unholy. He is pure. We are sinners. He is omniscient. We know nothing. Nothing. Earlier we read from Revelation chapter 4. John's vision of the throne room of heaven, the control center of the universe, says in verse 3, And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Reminds me of that line from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Where the children are asking the beavers about who Aslan is. Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Say the beavers. Oh, says Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. Who said anything about the Lord God Almighty being safe? Hebrews 12 verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. The whole structure of the temple in Jerusalem was designed to keep people at a distance. On the outside you had the court of the Gentiles. Then there was the court of the women. Beyond that was the court of the Israelites reserved for Jewish men who were ritually clean. Beyond that was the court of the priests. And beyond that was the Holy of Holies itself 
containing the Ark of the Covenant, hidden behind a thick curtain, and only the high priest could enter there, and that only once a year to make atonement for the sins of the nation. Everything about the design of the temple cried, Keep out! Keep your distance! I wonder if it's because of the simplicity of our services that we seem to lack the awe and the wonder of worship. We don't, as much as we love this building, we don't have the awe-inspiring architecture of a medieval cathedral. We don't have the inspirational singing of a well-trained choir to awaken our sleepy souls. So perhaps we have to dig deeper. We have to work harder. But then, maybe that's to our advantage. That we are not dependent on such props to bring us close to God. Rather, what do we need? We simply need to remember what it cost our Saviour for that curtain to be torn from top to bottom. For the new and the living way to be opened up to us. Hebrews 9 verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of, bull, of, of goats and calves. But entered the most holy place once for all. By his own blood. Having obtained redemption, eternal redemption. Friends admission to the throne room of God may be free. But it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And all that being the case, as we move on to the second part of the passage, we should be very, very careful with the promises that we make to God. We should, be, we should actually be careful about the promises we make to anybody, but to God in particular. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Now, the making of vows was a very common practice in ancient Israel. Uh, you could say that uh, there's a crude way of looking at it, that it's trying to bargain with God. But a better view regards them as, as a form of devotion, a tangible way of thanking God for a particular answer to prayer. And I suppose the most famous vow in the Bible would be that of Hannah. Remember Hannah, who vowed that should she give birth to a son, she would hand him back to the Lord. And the Lord answered that prayer, and Hannah kept her vow, and she entrusted little Samuel to the care of Eli, the priest at the shrine of Shiloh. And it's still the case that from time to time we might resolve to do something for the sake of the kingdom of God. Um, maybe we have in mind a particular sum that we're going to donate on the gift day. We might see a particular need in the church and think about helping out. But what distinguishes a vow from mere good intentions is that we make the promise to the Lord. And it doesn't even need to be for anything in return. It's not as if we're asking God to do We might just, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. So, for example, maybe we're singing a hymn like, you know, all to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. Or, or, or a Jesus, all for Jesus. All I have and all I am and never have to be. That kind of hymn. And you say to the Lord, yes, Lord. 
I surrender all to you. All I am and have and ever hope to be is yours, Lord. It's yours. I'll hold nothing back. Maybe a particular sermon highlights a sin and, and you're convicted of that sin and, and, and you're convicted of, of the guilt and, and you vow, I will never ever, Lord, I will never succumb to that temptation again. Be very careful. Be very careful. Careful not to be carried along on a tide of emotion. Verse 6. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say? And destroy the work of your hands. God is not mocked. So be very careful. Friends, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that there is a direct link between the weakness of the church in Scotland today and our paltry view of God. Our God is too small. Too small. And this has affected, infected, it has affected our worship. So that whether it is the professionalism of a cathedral choir or the raucous hype of a praise band, so many of us seem to need our worship to be manufactured for us. And we've come to believe that what God wants from us is noise. Noise, more noise. Whereas scripture says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let he who has ears to hear, listen. Let's pray. We do not rush into your presence, Lord. Rather, we listen to your word, to your voice. And having heard, we conform our lives, our wills, our ambitions to your will. In Jesus' name, Amen.